our Redeemer. Amen. One of the most universal forms of advice that people give couples right before they have their first child is, everything is going to change. <laughs> Get ready, it's all going to change. It's all going to be different. How, you may ask? No, we cannot tell you how. It's all going to be different. It will all change. I think that it's a fair and honest assessment of my own experience and becoming a father, um, <laughs> how the difference is of life after that. But that's not the only point in life where, where there's a great change that goes on, where your life radically changes, your habits, your dispositions, the things of your life changes after the first time you become a parent. Your life changes when you, when you leave home for the first time. In some ways that are clear, in other ways that are not clear, your life changes after falling in love. Your life changes after a breakup or divorce. Your life changes when you move to a new town or community. Your life changes after a loss or a terminal illness. Your life was going one way, and then it was going another way. There was change going on. My life was going one way when I went to college, went to the University of Texas. Hook them. I saw Kaylee left. I can't make fun of Aggies right now, but hook them. Um, it, was, it was different after I received my call to ministry. I went to college um, with the expectation or just kind of like general plan of becoming a lawyer because it was a thing that people do. And I think my advice to high school seniors when people ask them is just, just say something because people will ask until you say something. It doesn't matter what you want to do. Just give an answer because everybody's going to ask you where you want to go to college and when you be, what you want to be when you grow up. So just give them something and they'll move on and be satisfied. So I said I wanted to be a lawyer. It was fine. Um, but God had a different plan for me. And I went after my freshman year in college, I went on a mission trip to Peru. And um, we were uh, working with a number of, uh, it was people from the Amazon rainforest, indigenous folks in Peru who had moved from the Amazon to the outskirts of, outskirts of Lima. And these kind of like dust, it was this barren dust area that some people watered their dust so it wouldn't drift into their house. Um, over the day. It was so, so dusty. And I remember distinctly this memory of running up this hill and experiencing God's love in a new way, in, in the kind of my old ambitions of, of kind of like worldly glory kind of washed away. And I, I heard this message of God to serve his people in the church. God was calling me to serve his people wherever, wherever they were. My life changed directions. I believed in God before that. I wasn't, I, I grew up in the church. I believed in God before that, but my life changed directions at that moment. At Pentecost, Peter shares to the people his answer to the question, what should we do now? And so they ask him. He gives this long uh, sermon and we shared some of it last week. It goes on. Even some of it is not described. And so the, you know, the end of Acts 2, it says, and Peter shared more things about this. It kind of, Luke summarizes it a little bit. Um, but it's this answer to the question, what should we do? And, and Peter says, change your hearts and your lives. And the people there that day, their hearts and their lives actually changed. They became new people. On, on Aldersgate Road in, in 1738, John Wesley, a stodgy, not quite old, a, a young, a stodgy young Church of England priest, very stodgy, very boring, um, who had, had returned back from North America having failed to convert all of the Native Americans. Um, he was walking home from a, a prayer service, a meeting service, and he felt his heart 
strangely warmed. He felt that God loved him, even him. It didn't matter how much he did or didn't do. He was already loved by God. And that was on a street called Aldersgate. My friends, in the season of Easter, we're going to take the time to look through the beginning of the book of Acts to this question, what do we do now? The the disciples were left with this question after Jesus ascended into heaven, what do we do now? The people of Jerusalem were left with this question after Peter's sermon, what do we do now? For Bee Creek United Methodist Church, this is also the season we are in, what do we do now? And as we worship together, and pray together. I want us to be thinking and praying and responding actively to God's movements to not only ask but answer this question, what do we do now? And today's message is on conversion and Aldersgate. Very few of us enjoy being told to change our lives. I can't imagine a situation where someone comes up and Wilson, you know what? You should just change your life. That doesn't seem like a positive interaction. Change your life, Wilson. Everything will be okay. Thanks, Bob. I don't know why you're telling me that right now. It's a national human reaction. It's a form of judgment. Change your life. We each need to, ref- we each need to find our own space to receive that call to change at whatever time of life we're in. The word for conversion in Greek is, is metanoia, which is the same word for repentance. But, but we'll get back to metanoia. Meta is a, um, you know, a, a prefix that's in a lot of other words. A famous one is metamorphosis. It's like metamorphosis is change a physical body. That's why in like the Franz Kafka novel, The Metamorphosis, it's a, Gregor Samsa wakes up and finds he's a giant cockroach. His body has changed. Um, he has to deal with the consequences. What if I am a giant cockroach? Oh, this, is, this weirds out my relationships. Um, but in the, in the Bible, it's meta, metanoia. It's not metatsuke, and I know I'm getting deep, digging into the Greek a little bit, but I think this, this really matters. Metatsuke, tsuke is the word for soul, psyche. Um, it means soul. And the word for conversion and repentance is not to change your soul. It's metanoia. Nous is the word for mind. It is to change your mind. Repentance, conversion, literally speaking, means change your mind. In Mark, Mark 1.4, when John the Baptist proclaims a baptism of repentance, he proclaims metanoia. He proclaims for people to change their mind. And I don't know about you, but I have not very often seen people change their mind recently. It's, it's kind of hard to do, not just about religion, about sports, about politics, about, about their favorite foods. This photo has turned into a meme of, this is like a, a podcaster a few years ago, like set up at TCU campus, this table, male privilege is a myth, myth change my mind. Um, it became a meme in different ways of this change my mind, but it's, it's the, the absurdity of it is that changing someone's mind is actually rather difficult. It's not an easy thing. If someone has a, a conviction and a bias to go forward and try and you know, convince them to change it, is not so simple. Logical debate only goes so far. We don't need to leave that, that picture up there anymore. We're good. All right, thanks. <laughs> I just think it's funny. Uh, conversion and repentance in the Bible is not the result of logic. Logical syllogisms followed all the way to the nth degree. It doesn't mean it's illogical. Far from it. 
but it's not this step that, that Peter or Paul are going about and trying to bring someone along this logical argument and where they end up with the result being God. There's an extra step filled by the source of actual logic, Jesus Christ, who is, is the logos. This is, I mean, I'm sorry for all the Greek stuff going on, but it, it's, so, it's so vital and so important of what is going on. That Jesus Christ is the logic of the world, is, is the answer of the world and fills that out. The Word made flesh. In the beginning was the Word, as, as John says, in the beginning was the logos, the true understanding, the true meaning, and all the things we are grasping at it today, back at Pentecost, back at creation, are grasping at, are found in their source in Jesus Christ, fulfilled in this person. Fulfilled in this person that not only changes our bodies and, and our souls, but changes our minds, changes how we see the world. At Pentecost, a change took place with the many people of Jerusalem. Peter had shared his message of revival. He was excited for the possibilities, but it wasn't just an entertaining speech for people to go back to doing what they had been doing before. No, he said, change your hearts and your lives. Change what you desire and change how you live. Change what you desire and change how you live. I think that's also the love, the love commandment is, is found there. Uh, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength is what you desire. Love your neighbor as yourself is how you live. And that's what, what Peter is saying and calling for the people. When John Wesley returned to England after his failure in Georgia, he didn't really know what God had in store for him. He had been working at Oxford for many years before he went to Georgia. He kind of like picked that up a little bit, but was, was half-hearted in it. He, was, he tried some different things, but was unsatisfied. He started a, joined a few religious societies and, and worked with them, but in late May of 1738, John Wesley was at an evening prayer service at St. Paul's Cathedral in, in London. And then he went from that to a society meeting where a group of Moravians and Anglicans were reading from Martin Luther's preface to the Epistle to the Romans, reading this commentary by Martin Luther. And, and John Wesley, on his way home, was struck that day. He said his heart was strangely warmed. It was warmed by grace. It was warmed by an assurance of grace. This is what, what was so powerful for him, what was so surprising for him, this assurance that he was loved by God. He didn't have the doubts he had before that he was working towards to overcome. He was assured that he was loved by God. He couldn't earn his salvation. He couldn't make God love him. He was already surrounded by love. Today is, is Confirmation Sunday. As I said, at the 11 a.m. service, we're going to confirm a number of young people who have decided to follow Jesus Christ. We confirm people in the Methodist church so that those people who are baptized as infants can accept faith for themselves. We baptize infants because the Bible says that whole families were baptized, and it doesn't differentiate. Um, there's nothing in, in Scripture that excludes children from, from baptism. In fact, baptism, the central actor of baptism, is not the person who is choosing to be baptized. It is God. God is the agent in baptism, and God doesn't change, and God doesn't make a mistake. So when we baptize 
a child, God doesn't make a mistake that someone needs to go back and recover later. Baptism isn't like polishing a car where you do a great job polishing your car and then you park under a bunch of grackles and you come back later and nobody would have noticed it was ever polished before because it's covered in the remnants of grackles. Uh, Baptism is not a wash job for your soul. It is not a guarantor that later in life a baptized person will not make bad decisions. Baptism doesn't turn people into holy robots who no longer err or sin. And sometimes it's presented this way. You may say, oh, that, that, their baptism didn't really stick, so they need to, they need to do it again. But, but that's not how Scripture presents baptism at all. Baptism isn't polished. It isn't a new set of clothes. It is a life that has been buried in Christ's death and risen in Christ's life. God is the one who baptizes. We offer confirmation to give opportunities for people who do not remember their baptism to confirm their faith, to answer these strong and powerful questions that I'm going to ask them. Here's what they are. On behalf of the whole church, I ask you, do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, reject the evil powers of this world, and repent of your sin? That's not an easy question. Do you accept the freedom and power God gives you to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves? Do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior, put your whole trust in His grace, and promise to serve Him as your Lord in union with the church which Christ has opened to people of all nations, ages, and races? Those those are strong questions. Those are not meek questions. Those are not questions of like, hey, do you want to join our club? It goes so much deeper than that. They are asked by the parents at baptism, and I always, we're going to have a baptism, I think, on, on May 14th. And I always talk to the baptism, the baby's about a year old. Um, I want to talk to the parents about those questions beforehand so they know what they're doing and they can actually answer for their kids. Because part of, um, in my mind, when, when parents have their child baptized is they're taking on a huge responsibility of speaking for their child and sharing their faith as they grow up so that they can accept that faith for themselves. Strong questions. We want people to be able to say that. They are asked of the confirmands. And every time I talk to confirmands, I always try to make sure, like, you need to answer this for them yourself. This is not for your parents. This is not for your grandparents. This is not because your parents are going to buy you a car. This is for you and God. <laughs> this is why these questions matter. Aldersgate was not the beginning of the Methodist movement. It really started at Oxford, but it was a small gathering together there. But Aldersgate is the confirmation of the Methodist movement, the confirmation of grace, and that grace is not limited by where you are from. The Holy Spirit moves where it wills. And whether you are from a good family or not, whether you're wealthy or poor, a sinner or a saint, there's grace for you, and you're worthy of it. And you can be assured that you are loved by God. Not only to receive grace, but to be assured of that grace, that you have done enough because there's nothing we can do. We all fall short of the glory of God, but in his grace and mercy, he offers us life through Jesus Christ. Allersgate is a release of guilt, a letting go of guilt for the past and a stepping again into the future. You are worthy of forgiveness. Christ assures you of that. You have new life in Jesus Christ. He has offered it to you. Peter was a logical man. That's why he denied Jesus. He was confronted by his own mortality, 
right after Jesus was arrested and he sought to protect it. Peter showed the limits of earthly logic. The goal of earthly logic is self-protection and self-satisfaction. The cross, though, changed him. The empty tomb changed him. Peter offers at Pentecost a life of faith that no longer has the goal of self-protection and self-satisfaction. It has the goal of self-sacrifice out of the love of Jesus Christ. That is what is offered at baptism and confirmation, a new life and a new goal. The new goal and the new life in, in Jesus Christ is not to keep up with the Joneses, is not to save well until retirement. It is a life of sacrificial love made possible through the blood of Jesus Christ. John Wesley's life had a goal before Aldersgate, and it changed. And whether you are going to be confirmed today or not, your life can change, your mind can change, not just because of logic, but because of grace, the grace that you are loved, the grace that you are forgiven, the grace that you are good enough to live a life of love. Jesus shows us and teaches us throughout his ministries, throughout his, his teachings. We're going to say a prayer together for this day. It is the prayer of Aldersgate Sunday. Aldersgate Sunday is often celebrated at the end of May, but it can, it can, we can celebrate it a little early. That's fine. I, we gave, my kids gave Alina a Mother's Day present on, on Friday. It's like early presents are good. We can remember that powerful experience of the faith. We can remember our own powerful experiences of faith and the possibility that God can move in our lives. We should be able to expect God's movement and assurance in our hearts. Let us pray. Almighty God, in a time of great need, you raised up your servants, John and Charles Wesley, and by your Spirit inspired them to kindle a flame of sacred love, which leaped and ran, an inextinguishable blaze. Grant that all those whose hearts have been warmed at these altar fires being continually refreshed by your grace, may be so devoted to the increase of scriptural holiness throughout the land that in this time of great need, your will may fully and effectively be done on earth as it is in heaven, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Now, my brothers and sisters, we respond to God with the, with the sharing of the faith of the Old and New Testaments through the Apostles' Creed. Let us say, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ.